You are listening to the Valley Vegas Church Podcast. Valley Vegas is located at 4500 West Sahara Avenue in the heart of Las Vegas. For more information and to get connected with us, visit valleyvegas.org. We hope you are blessed and encouraged by today's message. Well, hello, hello. Good morning, Sil. I just congratulated the parents and said, welcome to the uh, uh, time in your life where you're going to have no money, no sleep. Congratulations, but lots of joy in your heart, right? Uh, Hello to you that are watching online as well uh, at home. Uh, Boy, I am so glad that we have some trees up, that I'm beginning a series today of three Christmas messages. You know, in this year that all of our traditions have been upset with just COVID and canceled and modified and everything, it's nice to be able to know that we're going to have Christmas one way or the other. We're going to celebrate the birth of Jesus. We're going to have it. So that's a done deal. So it's, it's kind of nice to have some familiarity. I want to, uh, before I get started, I do want to recognize one of our fantastic volunteers of the week. And this lady has been so faithful out in our kids' land. Would you please give it up for Yancy Raylis? Thank you, Yancy. As we go into this time of the year, uh, we're going to be talking about some Christmas-themed teachings, and I want to start today by talking about a name that you actually just sang about, Emmanuel, and uh, you've probably heard that in carols over the years, but maybe you never knew what it meant, uh, but today you will. Uh, Matthew verse 123 uh, says, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means... God with us. So that's what it means, God with us. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, part of the triune Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, he came to earth, and the scripture said he was born, very interesting wording, in the likeness of man, Philippians 2 says. Hmm, kind of like man, but different than man, but in the likeness of man, through a little young Jewish gal by the name of Mary. He was crucified after living 33 years. He was resurrected. He went back to heaven, and then one day he will come, not all the way to the earth, but just as far as the clouds, and a trumpet will sound. And, and if you're alive at that time, uh, the Bible says that you will be Changed in the moment's eye, in the twinkling of an eye, you'll be raptured, caught up to be with the Lord. Now, he won't come all the way down to earth yet, and he'll go up. And then for seven years, it looks like, we'll be up there with him. And then we'll come back down, those who have died, those who went up alive. And uh, at the end of the seven-year tribulation, he will come down here and establish his rule. Satan will be bound, a refurbished earth for a thousand years in something called the millennium. And so uh, that will take place. At the end of a thousand years, there'll be the final judgment. Satan is thrown into the lake of fire. People will stand before the Lord who didn't receive uh, his grace and love and unfortunately will be uh, cast out into outer darkness. This present earth, this present heaven will be destroyed by fire, never to be destroyed by flood again. Every time you see a rainbow, know that that's God's promise. And then the new heaven and new earth will come down. 
And that baby will never wear out. Don't have to worry about recycling plastics anymore. Don't have to worry about hearing politicians talk about climate change. It's good. It's locked into eternity. You'll have brand new bodies. How many of you can say, bring it on, I'm ready. This old one's wearing out. God with us. You know, when I think about the Christmas story, I, I always just kind of scratch my head and say, God, what were you thinking? Or did you really think this through? Wasn't there another way that you could have taken care of the sin issue other than having to come down to our cesspool of a planet? And I wonder, and, and the only answer I can come up with is why God <clears throat> came down, why God is with us is the same reason why these parents had kids up there. You ever ask yourself that? Parents probably have in moments of frustration. Why did I have these kids? Why did I have kids? Well, this certainly wasn't for the financial benefit. I read a study this week that says that uh, by the time that your child reaches 17 years of age, on average, you'll have spent $233,000 on average. Mothers, you poor moms, you spend 97 hours per week just on parenting. Just on parenting. For every son that a mom has, her life, studies have shown, will be shortened by approximately seven months. Some of you say, it's got to be more than that. It's got to be more than seven months. I swear I'm using years of my life with this teenager. Now, in another unrelated study that I really had to dig deep, into the back pages for this one, it was determined that a husband's life would be shortened dramatically if he answered honestly his wife's question, does this dress make me look fat? (laughs) Now the answer, guys, is, is always no, 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 not at all. Jesus, Emmanuel, he came to be with us for the same reason that parents have kids. Very simply, he wants to have a relationship with us. That's it. God wants to have a relationship with us. He wants to have kids. See, parenting, as you parents well know, is full of joy, excitement, wonder. The first time your kids say the first words and the first steps they take and and when they first begin to understand who God is, it's just wonder and excitement. But it's also times of frustration and disappointment. And I'm, I'm sure God gets frustrated with us and Uh, No doubt he's disappointed with us at times, but nevertheless, his love for us never wavers. It never wavers. God loves you just like you parents love your kids no matter what they do, no matter how bad they act, no matter where they've been. God loves us, and he wants to have a relationship with us. That's why he came to earth, Emmanuel. He's with us. He enjoys being with us. Now, I want to talk to you about three reasons that I see in Scripture that God came to us, that he wants to be with us. And here's the first one. He wants to help us move beyond our past, to get beyond our past. Humanity's biggest problem, what we have struggled with in the past, what we will always struggle with, is sin. That's our Achilles heel. Why? Because it robs us of the quality of life, the intended life that God wants us to have. It's, it's, it's less than what he wants for us. And you, you, the, the problem with it is that sin is deceptive. It, it promises so much. It, it's alluring. The Bible talks about the fleeting pleasures of sin. 
sin wouldn't be so uh, easy to fall into if it, if it wasn't pleasurable, if it didn't have a measure of pleasurableness. But the problem is, is it's fleeting. And the problem is, it says that the wages of sin is death, that when you sin, in a sense, there's a death. Whether it be a death of relationship, whether it be a death of your closeness with God, whether it be a, a, a death of joy, of peace, of purpose, it takes its toll, sin does. And so that's the primary reason that Jesus came to die, to be a sacrifice for our sin so that we could have that relationship with God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 puts it this way. It says that he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He died. An innocent man died for the guilty. And then Acts 4.12 completely dispels what a lot of people will say in our modern era. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be safe. All roads don't lead to the same place. Not every religion is saying basically the same thing. That is completely untrue. There's only one religion where God came down, became a man, died a very real death, was resurrected, and that is Christianity, and that's Jesus Christ. There's no other religion that can say that. All the other prophets, all the other holy men, they're laying dead in the grave. But Jesus Christ is alive in heaven, and it's through his sacrificial death that we have a relationship with God. There's no other way. Now, this whole sin issue, people are looking for peace of mind from it. They're looking for relief from guilt. That's one of the consequences of sin. It leaves you guilty. And many people who are sinning and and trying to live with their conscience will then take the route of trying to tell you, well, what I'm doing is not wrong. The Bible is, is, it doesn't really say this and they justify why. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to come to grips with their conscience. They're trying to, trying to quiet their conscience by explaining it away, by justifying it. But in order to receive peace, we have to understand this truth. This is so clear that we can't experience the peace of God until we first have peace with God. You have to be in a right place with God. Have your sins forgiven. Have your sins confessed. We're, we're going to sin still. Once we receive Christ, you're still going to sin. Well, what do I do? Well, you confess it. First John 1, 9. Lord, I, I just, I'm sorry. I, I could sit here, God, and tell you why Vicki deserved to have said to her what I just said to her. But nevertheless, uh, it was wrong what I said to her. I confess my sin, Lord. I, I apologize and I'm sorry. And as soon as you do that and you mean it from a sincere heart, boom, you're back in good standing with God. Until you do that, you're not in a great place with God. No, you're saved. You're going to heaven. But your relationship is affected. Just like your kids. If your kids are ornery and selfish and don't apologize, you still love them. But, but right, I mean, like, hey, you're not on best terms. Things aren't the way that they could be or should be with your kids. So you confess that. But you can't have peace with God or the peace of God until you have peace with God. I've been watching something. I think it's unhealthy. It's an imbalance. I've been witness to a couple incidents of people that have committed pretty big sins, pretty big moral failures, and they paid a hefty price for it. But what has surprised me, and quite frankly has disappointed me, is how fast they move from the exposure of their sin to, hey, you know what? God's got a plan for me still. 
I'm more than a conqueror. God's not done yet. I tell you what, I'm, I'm, I'm an overcomer and I will not let this thing get me down. And all those things are absolutely true. They are absolutely true. But I believe they've missed an important step in between the sin and the moving on and, and the Romans eight twenty eight, where God will cause all things for good. And that is a time of genuine repentance. I haven't seen this in these two cases. And it concerns me. Let me explain what I'm talking about. In Luke 18, Jesus tells a parable. He says, there was a Pharisee and a tax collector. And the Pharisee was walking around town and he was looking around at people. He looked over the tax collector and he says, I'm thankful, God, that I'm not like that guy. I tithe, I go to church, I'm more righteous, I do all the things. And then Jesus goes on, he says, and then this tax collector, he won't even look at me in the eye, Jesus says. He's over there beating his chest saying, oh God, have mercy on me, the sinner. Oh, I'm so unworthy, have mercy. And Jesus tells his audience, he's telling this parable to, he says, who do you think walked away justified? And the answer you would think would be, well, the Pharisee, obviously. And Jesus said, no, 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 the tax collector. Why? Because he acknowledged his sin. There was genuine repentance there. See, when, when you are genuinely sorry and you grieve over your sin, that opens the door to repentance. That opens the door to repentance. And that's really all the Lord's looking for when we sin is he just wants us to acknowledge it and repent and begin to live differently. Now, there's a place to grieve for sin. I'm not talking about wallowing in guilt. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that you should go the rest of your life and, oh, I'm so sorry. When I was in fourth grade, I put gum in the students and girl in front of me's desk hair. I can't, I can't forgive myself. I've just been living this thing for 40 years. I'm not saying that. What I'm talking about is, is this grieving, this time between the sin and the moving on and faith and hope that God has of a grieving time. 2 Corinthians talks about the difference between how an unbeliever handles their shortcomings and a believer. Uh, 2 Corinthians 7 uh, verse 9 says, Now I rejoice that you were made sorrowful, but not that you were made sorrowful, but you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God, so that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God, it produces a repentance without regret. That leads to salvation, but the sorrow of the world produces death. See, when an unbeliever grieves or, or, or is sorrowful, it's not a sorry that I let God down, I hurt people. It's a sorry that, man, I'm just, you know, I'm suffering the consequences of my sin. I got busted. I got caught. Now my wife left me. Now I lost my job. Oh, man, can you believe it? I'm so, so. That's the sorrow they're talking about. But godly sorrow Brings repentance. Lord, you know what? My wife's staying with me. I haven't lost my marriage. But God, I know what I did. I know what I said. Uh, it, it hurt her. It hurt my kids when they had to watch that. It hurt you to see me do that. And God, I am sorry. God, help me. I do not want to do that again. See, that genuine acknowledgement, that owning of your sin, it naturally brings forth repentance. That's an important step that we have to have along the way. Someone very close to me, not, not in these two cases I just told you, but someone super close to me, 
had a skeleton pop out of the closet. A long time ago, sin got revealed. And they were struggling with it. And I was walking them through that. And this person uh, believes in God, but not necessarily as close as, as I would like them to be. And I, as I was talking with them, I felt the Spirit give me this little catchphrase. And I said to this person, I know you're struggling. I, I know you're feeling the weight of, of that sin. I said, but you can't feel the freedom of forgiveness until you first feel the weight of that sin. What did I mean by that? I mean, there is something, when you acknowledge that what you did is so horrible, it, it was hurtful to God and other people, and you feel the weight of it. And then when you acknowledge that and confess it, and you feel forgiven, when you really sense that, hey, God has taken care of this thing, it literally sometimes feels like a weight's lifted off of you. And I told this person, if you can experience that, if that thing will draw you closer to God, cause you to love God more because of, of how heavy your sin was and what a price that he paid for that, that you don't have to carry that, that you're forgiven, if that will cause you to draw closer and love God, then this thing is, is well worth it. I'm glad that skeleton came out of the closet, if that's what will happen to you. Next, God came to deal with our past but he also came, number two, to comfort and provide for us in the present. Jesus, after sending out his disciples, as he was getting ready to pass the baton to his disciples, knowing that he would go back to the Father, he sent them out to proclaim the gospel, the good news. And as they came back, he asked them a question in, in Luke chapter 22. He said, when I sent you out without money belt and bag and sandals, you did not lack anything, did you? And they said, no, nothing. See, he sent them out and said, hey, don't take anything with you. He says, go out there and, 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 and just minister and watch how things be provided. People would open up their homes to them. People would give them food. People would take care of their needs. He says, don't, don't worry about anything. Just go out and proclaim the gospel. What Jesus was teaching his followers is such an important lesson, and hopefully that we're learning it here. And that is that where God guides, God provides. Where God is leading you, you can rest assured that there will be provision there. He wouldn't lead you there if he wasn't going to take care of you. John Corson, one of my favorite Bible teachers, I was reading this week, and he said something that really resonated with me. He said he believes that the biggest problem that Christians have when facing an uncertain future, how am I going to pay this bill? What is the doctor going to say when my lab results get back? Is my husband going to stay in this marriage or not? Are my kids going to uh, get with the program or what is going to happen here? I, they just seem to be out of control and you can add to the list. He says that when people are facing an uncertain future, John Corson believes, it's not because of lack of faith that they struggle. He says it's because of loss of memory. Huh, what's he talking about? See, in the heat of a trial, the uncertainty of our future, we are prone to forget the times in the past that God has come through for us. It is amazing to me, as you take a look at Israel as you come through the wilderness, God would bring manna 
Oh, thank you, God. I cannot believe you did that. And then next week, where's the water? You brought us out of here to kill us with thirst. God, there's the water. Next week, we're sick of this thing. You know, how are we going to get by with this? This isn't got to provide. They, they, kept, they forget, short time, forget all the things that God did. I believe that's probably why God told Moses, hey, I want you to build a stone memorial. I want you to show the people and explain it to them. This memorial was to be erected that would symbolize the agreement that God made with his people Israel, the covenant. The covenant was, I'll be your God. Here's who I am, the Ten Commandments, all the 613 laws, live by those things. And if you do that, I'll be your God. I'll watch over you. You'll, you'll stand out among the nations. You'll, you'll, you'll see what happens when I'm your God. But if you don't uh, do that, if you sign up for this thing and don't follow through, then there will be consequences to pray, pay, just like a child that gets you know, in timeout or spanking or whatever. Same thing. That will happen. And so that, that stone memorial was there, I think, to help people not lose their memory. So every time they walked by it, they would say, oh, there's that agreement. Yeah, you know what? Remember, remember God brought that manna? Remember that rock? Man, it was a trip. Moses hit it and water came out. Remember? And they would have those things in their memory bank. Or maybe they even jotted it down. So every time the next challenge, the next uncertain future, the next trial came, they could say, wait a second. God did this. This time he did this three years ago. He did this. And as they begin to look back, guess what? Faith began to build up. Hope began to build up. And they say, why am I stressing? Has God ever let me down? I mean, he's done it 10 times before. Is he going to fail me in the 11th time? I think you'd be wise if you're a journaler. I wish I was. I'm not. I have memorials in my memory bank up up here. But if you're a journaler, write that down or put it up there. So the next time you face that uncertain future, you can go and pull those things and have your faith encouraged, have your hope encouraged, and just say, you know what? I refuse. Why am I stressing? Why am I stressing? I mean, God came through before. He'll, he'll do it again. And man, it will cause you so much peace to happen in your life. So we need to do that for ourselves, set up those memorial stones. But there's a second reason that Moses was told by God to do it. God says, have the people do it so they can show their children those stones. They can pass on their faith to their children. Every time they walk by, Johnny, look at that stone. What is that, Daddy. Man, that's, that's, a, that's where God did something here. God did this, Johnny. Can you believe this? And, and he came through for mom and daddy. That's, that's what God did, Johnny. That's, every time you see those stones, remember that. And little Johnny's faith is being built up. My son, uh, not named Johnny, he's named Seth. Even today, when he sends his mother, my wife Vicki, uh, a birthday card or a phone call, every now and then he'll, he'll refer back and he'll say, Mom, Thank you for listening to Pastor Ron. And what, what was what's he referring to? He's referring to the time that after I disclosed to Vicki my unfaithfulness as a young Christian and she wanted to leave me and I talked her into going to see Pastor Ron and, and she wanted to leave me and he's, Pastor Ron said, you can't, Vicki, you gotta forgive him. I don't have the power. Well, God will give you the power and Vicki received the Lord right there in his office and, and we, we were begin our journey as a broken young Christian couple. And, and Seth says, thank you for listening to Pastor Ron, Mom, and thank you for not leaving Dad. And I don't know why it's impacted that kid like that. It's just really stuck with him, that part of our testimony. But see, that, that, is, that is stuck there. And when, when you have those memorials in your life and you're sharing it with your kids and you're living it, that's building their faith. 
that is something that they're going to take into their adult faith. I hope you're storing those things up. I, I hope you're putting them in your memory bank or, or, or journaling those things. But here's the problem. Unfortunately, way, way too many Christians, they're focusing on the wrong things. They're spending all this energy and stress trying to figure out how God will meet their needs. God, how are you going to do this? I don't see any possible way. Lord, there's just no way. We're, we're, we're going bankrupt. My marriage is done. I'll never find a spouse. My kids will never get straightened out. I, I'll never be free of this disease, of this sickness. And how, God? I don't see how, Lord. I, I, I calculate and I don't see how you're going to do it. And I want to propose something to you that rather than focusing on the how, focus on the where. The where. You see, once you have peace that you're where you're supposed to be, at that point, you just know, in fact, you can name it and you can claim it and you can blab it and you can grab it and you can speak it because it's going to happen that God will take care of you if you have the where figured out. If you're where God wants you to be. How do I know that? Because the Bible says so. Here's an example, Matthew six thirty three. But seek first his kingdom, the where, and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added to you. What are all the things he talked about previous to that? A roof over your head, clothes on your back, a $1.29 taco to eat on Wednesday at Roberto's. All that you need is taken care of if you've got the where figured out. Just, just focus. I'm not going to worry about the how. You'll drive yourself crazy trying to figure out how God will meet your needs. How, you'll, you'll go nuts. But if you can say, I feel like I'm right where I should be. And very often, the right where you should be is right there doing nothing. That's the really scary part. What am I supposed to be doing? God says, nothing. No, but Lord, I, I should go. No. But where? But nowhere. Just Stay. Oh, this feels so scary. I need to be doing something. Let me see if I can help you, God. And then we create an Ishmael, a work of the flesh. God says, you didn't help me. You really complicated things now. The where. Focus on the where. Are you where you're supposed to be? Are, are you doing your level best to live for the Lord? Are you putting him first? Are you, are you dealing with sin? Not, you're not going to ever be perfect. I'm talking about the, the, just the known sins that you just know are sin and, and you're being hard-headed and you're not changing it. But if you're, you're acknowledging it, you're confessing it, you're saying, God, this is wrong. Please help me, God. I don't want to do this. If, if, if you're in that right place, then don't worry about the how. You're in the right place. God will come through for you. He will come through for you. He's, he's promised that he would. Lastly, God is taking care of our past. He's going to meet and provide for us in the present. And then thirdly, he came to go ahead of us to prepare our future. This is so cool. This is so cool. We just finished a study in the book of Exodus on Wednesday night. And in that study, we learned that God revealed his presence two ways. To the people. One was a cloud by day. He'd be in this cloud. And the second was a, a pillar of fire at night. And I just always thought that, that why he did that 
primarily was mainly just to, to trailblaze for the people. In other words, to go ahead of them. They'd never been there before. So he's kind of going ahead of them, showing, hey, okay, we'll just follow you. It's like the, you know, the ancient GPS. Just follow the cloud, follow the fire, and say you get there. And blazing new trail. How many of you like to hike? You like to, like to hike? I love to hike and walk and pass. Not many. Oh, boy, we got to get an exercise class going. None of you like to walk at all. I like to eat. I do, too. But if you've ever gone hiking, somebody's, somebody started a path, right? But occasionally, I'll be out hunting, and, and I want to go to a certain place, and no one's been there. So I, I become the trailblazer. I'm starting the path. And then I look back, and you know, all the weeds are down. And next time somebody comes through, hey, somebody's been here before. I'll follow that path. I just thought God was trailblazing. But I read this week in Deuteronomy in my daily reading that there was a couple other reasons. In fact, let me read them to you. Deuteronomy 1 verse 30. The Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight on your behalf. Just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. And in the wilderness where you saw how the Lord your God carried you just as a man carries his son in all the way which you have walked until you came to this place. But for all this you did not trust the Lord your God who goes before you on your way to seek out a place for you to encamp in the fire by night and cloud by day to show you the way in which you should go. Two things I had never saw before. One is that God went ahead to fight for the people, to defeat the enemies that stood in the way of Israel and the land that they were to be given there. Well, I look at it and I say, I don't see any you know, combat thing there. I actually see Israel coming in later and fighting, but I don't see any record of God fighting. But we says that God says, I went ahead and you fought. Now, how did God fight? Well, he fights in the spirit realm. How does he do it? I don't know. We see in scripture, he causes people, sometimes they would turn upon each other. He would, he would put fear in their hearts and they'd run away. God has numerous ways of, of clearing the path for his people. It reminded me when I, when I saw that picture of God actually doing the heavy work and then the people coming in and thinking they got the victory of, of my days of watching pro wrestling with my son when he was 12 or 13. Oh, I think all boys that are on the verge of puberty and got all that testosterone starting to flow, they want to watch wrestling. They got their favorite wrestler. And I'd watch it thinking this is as phony as a $3 bill. But you know, my son was loving it and had his favorite wrestler. And I noticed something when they have a tag team thing is all of a sudden get out there and one guy's just beating the snot out of the guy and, and the guy's obviously down. All he has to do is just lay on him and get the pin, you know, the one, two, three. But he stops and he goes over and he tags his partner. And his partner comes in. You know, all the wrestling moves. You know, and real dramatic, lays on him and one, two, three, boom, gets up and walks off. I'm thinking, you didn't do nothing. Your partner did all the work. And I thought of that picture about how God fights for us. We think that we've done this thing when God's, done actually all the heavy lifting. And that's the picture there. Second thing I saw this week in Deuteronomy is that God would go ahead to prepare the next campsite, to find the place that they would camp next. Really, you gotta, you gotta picture this. You gotta get this in your mind. They're coming out of Egypt, a group of people. And I think in our mind we think, oh yeah, there's you know, a nice little hiking group of 10, 12 people. Do you know how many people came out of Egypt? Let me, let me ask another question first. How many people are in Clark County? Well, they say estimates before COVID. Uh, we're probably getting a lot more now with California moving in. Two million people in Clark County. Do you know how many people came out of Egypt? It's been estimated. 
three million people. Can you imagine moving three million people each day camping? I mean, they had kids, they had livestock, they had women that were pregnant, they had elderly people, and they would pick up and, and go each day and stop for the night, set out their camps. Get That is quite a chore. And God would go ahead of them to find a suitable place. God would maybe go out there, oh, okay, here's a nice little five-mile by five-mile section. Got plenty of pasture for the livestock. Got a little creek here. Uh, Moses, he's getting old. I got a nice little soft meadow for him to lay in and, and all the things. Okay, so God would go ahead and, and he would get the camp ready for them. Future, I'm, I'm gonna take care of the next step for you. This is such an important truth. If, if you don't receive anything else today, you've gotta get this truth. And that is that God is working in our present oftentimes for something in our future. God may be working and doing something in your life. You may be going through a trial in your life right now that has nothing to do with the present, but it has everything to do with something that he's going to do in your life down the line. And if you don't know that, then you will just drive yourself nuts trying to figure out why is this happening? This makes no sense. I don't get this. Why does this door close? Why did this happen? And, and you'll go crazy. Oh, I wish I'd have known this as a young Christian. Especially when I was finishing up my baseball career in Japan. After I signed a two-year contract. And I had a, really a good first year over there. Most American ballplayers don't do good over there. I, I was in the top 10 in every category. And I went back to second year. Just as I'm going to improve in this year. I'm going to even have a better year. And they had a new manager. And... For some reason, he didn't take a liking to me. Nothing personal because we couldn't communicate because of the language barrier. But for some reason, as a ball player, he wasn't feeling me. And, and he just wasn't feeling me. And, and eventually, I got sent down to the minor leagues. That never happens to an American ball player over there. They don't pay you the money they were paying me. And that was, it wasn't huge, but it was huge for me. But they don't pay you that money to send you to the minor leagues. I'm thinking, what in the world and unfortunately, I didn't have this truth down that God was probably doing something for my future. And man, I just blew it. Went to the papers and complained and tried to make the team look bad. Was stressed out and in fact, ended up drinking for the first time after getting saved after five years of sobriety, got drunk one night. Just did not handle it good at all. If I had only realized that what was taking place in the present had to do with my future. You see, just several months before that, Pastor Ron had said, hey, when you get out of baseball, I'd like you to come on staff. And I said, well, thank you, but I'm only 27. I really don't plan on getting out anytime soon. Little did I know that I would be getting down there. Well, you think about it. How else would God get me out? I'm 27 years old, grew up kind of poor, making good money. Why would I want to get out of baseball? I finally make a little money. I want to sand this thing and squeeze this thing for as much as I can squeeze. But God had other plans. God knew that, 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 that he needed to be somewhere else. So how else is he going to get me out? Well, have a manager change. Have him not take a liking to you as a baseball player. Have you just, just get to the point where you're just sick and tired of all the politics and stuff and you just pick up the phone and say, hey, Pastor Ron, yeah, is that job offer still around? I thank goodness it was. 
See, the pain and the confusion and all the crazy events that was happening in the present was because God had something better for me in the future. Get this truth. Get this truth. You've got to get this down. If not, then then you will be a frustrated Christian if you think it only has to do with the now. Let let me end. I've also been noticing as I've been reading through my daily devotions, there's a phrase that is used in there, and it's the phrase, our. It's used a couple different times in this manner. In John 2, 4, it's, it's put this way. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does that have to do with us? My hour has not yet come. And then again in Luke 22, it's, it's put this way. While I was with you daily in the temple, you did not lay hands on me, but this hour and the power of darkness are yours. And then again in John 12, now my soul has become troubled and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose, I came to this hour scratched my head and said, what does that mean? I looked up what the Greek word was for hour and it's aura. And it means hour, time, season, a definite space or division of time. So it's not just, you know, one hour. It's, it can be a little bit bigger. It's a established time. It's a set time. Hey, you know what? Set, set your alarm and we're going to run for 20 minutes. It, it's a definite Specific time that is set. As I read that, I, I, I thought there are specific hours that God has set when he answers prayers, when he meets need, or when he stops a trial. There, there's, a, there's a beginning oftentimes to a trial, and there's an end to a trial. There's a beginning to a season of blessing, and there's an end to that. There's a beginning to a season of, of trial, there's an end to that. I, I've experienced that. I was a part of someone going through that season here in the last couple of weeks. Chris and Tracy McBride attend our church and I'd got a call, actually a text, I think from Pastor Jerry a couple of Sundays ago saying, Hey, just FYI, Chris and Tracy are, are going through a couple of financial challenges. And, and, uh, he asked for prayer at our uh, Bible study. He didn't ask for money as, as they're such good people, but just, just say, Hey, pray for us. And immediately when I heard that, I felt the Lord say, help him. Uh, and when I say help them, what I mean is you're helping them. You help them through our 245 fund. That's the fund that we have here that when people give money to that, we, we set it in a little account. And when needs come up within the body, we take that money and, and, and give out to people as we have money in there to give. And uh, I want to help them. Uh, I didn't know the amount, uh, but I told Vicky, let's play our little game. And we have a little game that we play, Vicky and I, and the staff, is that when we have a need that we're going to meet, okay, let, let's, let's play our game to see the amount, and I'll tell the staff sometimes. Uh, okay, ready, everybody ready? Uh, let's flash fingers. And, and what that means is uh, this, a digit represents a $100 bill. So $100 bill, there's $200 bills, there's $300 bills. So you, you flash the fingers, and sometimes you use both hands. Uh, and so I told Vicky, you ready? And so we're getting ready to flash, but, but let me just tell you a bit more of the story from Tris, Chris and Tracy. Chris later says that, <clears throat> he says, on the computer, we're getting ready to go to, to Pastor Jerry's Bible study, and I'm getting on the computer, and I'm making an application to one of these, you know, like a dollar loan center. I need some quick money. And he says, they approved me for, for a lot more than I needed. He says, I only need, 
I only need $500. That's all I need. And so he, he punched in the amount and was getting ready to hit the submit button. And Trace said, we, let's go. We, we got to get to Bible study. Uh, I'll, I'll do it later. He said later, he said, it just didn't feel right hitting that button right then. I feel like I'll, I'll just leave it here and I'll come back later. Went to the Bible study. That's where he told Pastor Jerry, just pray for us. Didn't say anything about an amount. Never told Jerry an amount. The amount never came up. And we're just a little bit short. Back to Vicky and I's finger. Fun. Okay, honey, you ready? We're at home. Two Sundays ago before service. You ready? One, two, three. Boom. Five from me and five from her. Told Jerry, just call and, and, and write a check for 500 and give it to him today. He met them in the breezeway and said, hey, we prayed. God told us this is what you're supposed to have. Here it is. Open it up. They opened the check up, and, and I guess there was a puddle of tears out there uh, when they read it. And that's when Chris told Jerry the story of, of needing $500. That's all we needed. We didn't need the money they were going to give us. We just needed $500. See, God knew ahead of time what they needed, put it upon Vicky and I's heart. You were part of it because you gave so we could have the money to give. And lo and behold, God met a need. God was in their future, already taking care of them, knew what they need ahead of time. See, that's what God has. He will take care of you. Don't focus on the how. Just be concerned on the where. Are you where you're supposed to be? If you are, then just pull up a chair, pour you a glass of that nasty eggnog at this time of the year. Keep the booze out of it. Just drink it straight. And just say, God, I'm going to enjoy this ride because you will take care of me. That's what you promised to do. You're Emmanuel. God with us.